Hello there. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a, I wouldn't say sweltering, but a warm Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender podcast, we talk about bartending and Keys life. And uh, what I wanted to start out with is, I guess it's just news and stuff like that, but in Fort Pierce, I think it's over the past week, a young woman, a 13-year-old woman, uh, Ella Reed, you'll hear this story. It's a big story in the, in the papers at the moment. She um, was swimming with a friend in the Atlantic Ocean, and she was attacked what, by what she thinks was a bull shark. And she ended up getting 19 stitches. And while she was getting attacked, she the first reaction she said to her friend, she told her friend to get up away from here. She didn't. She didn't ask her friend for help. She asked her friend to get away from here. And then uh, she fought off or drove off the, the shark and it came back around and got her again. But I mean, only she's lived to tell beautiful young girl stuff. And I was talking to the wife earlier today. I said, 13 years old. I'm looking at her and said, well, what lovely young girl. I said, what an interesting story you get to tell the rest of your life. I mean, when you're going to college and you have to fill out an essay, you can always say, and then you're going to say, well, like if I was telling a story about that, I'm saying, you know, I was raised, my father was in the military. We went to, uh, we moved to different bases and things like that. And I said, I went to 16 different schools until I got to high school. And then you could talk about all the things that happened. I was, you know, in, you know, I played a little played a little football, ran a little track, we, you know, did well in high school, but oh yeah, when I was 13 years old, I fought off a bull shark and it attacked me. I got 19 st- stitches. That's almost like everything else you did the rest of your life. It, and people say, wait a second, wait a second, You what, what did you do? What did you do? Like, I guess for me would be, oh yeah, I was in my spin class and I passed out. My heart stopped. I was out for seven and a half minutes and um, they started me up after seven and a half minutes and, and then I got life flighted out and then went back to doing what I was doing after I came back. And people said, what What happened? But not Probably not as exciting as being attacked by the bull shark. I did get my hand run over by a car, which I don't remember. That's when I was drinking, but... I always think about stories, and maybe a little later on I'll talk about that, about some of the stories. Not about the stories I heard myself, but what makes an interesting story. And sometimes I've been accused of going ad nauseum too far telling a story and adding my narrative. Over uh, the weekend, they had the local high school down here uh, had its prom. And that's for juniors and seniors. And I imagine all these things uh, down here, and this is what I'm, I guess I'm going to be talking about liability. Somebody, and it's different. I wanted to talk about liability, not accusing someone of a crime or anything like that. I'm going to say being liable, not liable, like making up a, a, a falsehood about someone. I'm talking about liability. So we're going to detail that. So one of the, and this pertains, you'll see how it pertains to restaurants. So what happens during proms? Well, it's a rite of passage. It's been going on forever. 
when it's not forever, ever, but you know, when you get kids and stuff like that, they're, they're going to want booze. They're going to want booze or some kind of substance, right? So they're having it. And one of the, you know, people, every so often there's a parent that decides and says, well, their reasoning is, I uh, want to have the kids in the house. This way they're not out doing something stupid and you're going to moderate it, uh, moderate their behavior, but not be able to stop them from doing things. You at least should be able to moderate their behavior. And so... What happened this week? What happens a lot of places? Uh, a parent was hosting an after party or was there. I don't know the whole story about that, but the person ended up getting, I don't know if they were arrested or charged or whatever, but the parent got a, uh, got cited. And which I can only assume uh, was charged with aiding and betting. I don't know if it's called corruption or, or anything of a minor which is when you allow minors to drink in your house. And, and, and I don't know what to what extent if they purchased liquor or allowed liquor or anything like that. But I had, to, I had a discussion with my wife and we were talking. She said she feels sorry. And I felt sorry for the woman, too. And I understand what she was trying to do. I do understand what she was trying to do. And it was she was thinking, well... If they're around here, at least they're not out there running around doing this. And they were all on a bus. And this, you know, they had hired a bus that night and no one was going to be driving. Parents would pick them up at the end of the night. I think it was four in the morning or something like that, wherever they would drop them off at two different places. Well, that's where I I had previously said uh, on the Friday or it was... It was earlier in the week we were talking about prom. My daughter was going to it, too. She she happened to go, go to this party. And I said, wow, I never really understood why parents would expose themselves to liability by having parties or having allowing a kid to use a boat where there's liquor on it and all that stuff or allow, you know, some parents even purchasing the liquor. And I don't think this happened in this case. But... It's, I hesitate to say innocent enough, but innocent does not, uh, innocent of intent does not make you innocent of liability. And I'm not a lawyer by any far stretch of it. They, they can, a lawyer will try to defend it one way or another, but I know what exposes people to liability. I, you know, if you're a thinking person, once you aid in an act, you're liable. It's like driving a getaway car or providing a car to someone that's used for uh, committing a crime. So when it comes to restaurants, liability is huge for almost any business. But when you throw in liquor and food, liability is incredible. I always thought that years ago, years ago when Wendy's had this thing called a super bar. And the funny thing about Wendy's super bar, it was it wasn't a bar. It was kind of a tiny buffet with maybe like eight to ten items on it. And you could purchase it. It was like five bucks all you can eat. Now, when there's two things you should think about it. If a small buffet at a fast food restaurant, 
you think, how do they cut corners and make it you, all you can eat for that amount of money? And it wasn't, I'm not talking about the 1950s or 60s or 70s. This was in the 90s, I think. And in order for them to make it, they had this, you have to stretch on quality on uh, the length of the food being out there. And so eating at a buffet, I never understood how companies, especially fast food chains, would expose themselves to liability of food poisoning, cross-contamination, and such things like that because buffets are notoriously... I mean, they got... I mean, the whole technology, there's companies dedicated for building sneeze cards, sneeze guards and proper tongs and stuff. And they say, these tongs do not carry, you know, the people touching the tongs and doing that stuff. Think of a golden corral. I think of people going to a golden corral. Um, hopefully, you know, we're, we're beginning to get our sponsors in line, stuff like that. I don't think I'm ever going to. Um, I can say this right now. I probably... Don't foresee a future where I will be uh, seeking Golden Corral as a sponsor. As a younger person, I used to really like buffets, but then again, I didn't really, I wasn't concerned about cross-contamination, how long food stays out, you know, whether it's past the expiration, stuff like that. But the restaurants, if you're serving food, you have to be, uh, cognizant of that, you and I mentioned before, especially with shellfish, we put up signs that say if you're eating raw shellfish, you are, uh, you know, you can be exposing yourself to food, uh, salmonella, food, food poisoning, whatever you get from eating oysters or sushi or something like that. It's just huge, but when it comes to liquor, that's the thing that. Um, because rarely when you're serving food does it cause someone to accidentally kill another person, which alcohol does. It does contribute to someone's uh, debilitating their ability to drive safely. And so when you have someone inexperienced, young, doing it, first of all, there's a drinking age in in the United States, most of it's 21. There are states where it's a little lower, I guess. And what we get a lot, and I'm, if you're in the business, is parents pushing the envelope. You know, kids are always trying to push the envelope. They're trying to come in and say, order something and stuff like that. And they try to do it, try to get a fake ID and all this stuff. And then the technology is changing. And I, it's, it's interesting. I did mention on past episodes that there's, you're starting to see more virtual IDs, but that's where you're linked to a database. So if a kid, a kid, a young person was going to go and get a virtual ID, they'd also have to uh, get into the state database to show that that ID reflects the same information that they have. Because, I mean, someone showing me a picture in Florida, we don't have that. So if someone flashes a virtual ID to me, I don't even care if they're in, uh, you know, the places you could do it. I think it's Arizona and Colorado and Maryland. If I did not, I just see that in the Apple wallet. So um, people say, well, what's the big deal? You know, liabilities. Most of the times it's going to happen that someone's going to have a drink. They're going to be fine. They're with their parents. Nothing's going to happen. Well, first of all, it's illegal. 
And and depending on the state you're in, they have liquor control boards or alcohol uh, bureau of control, what ABC, whatever state liquor boards, and they come in and they do uh, you know undercover work to see if you're trying you know serve someone that who's you don't card, you don't check their ID, you overserve. They, uh, very rarely do they see people who are overserving uh, in the undercover operation. You don't, they normally charge it. But if someone were overserved, there's a possibility. There, there's liability for that, which I'll get to a little later. But when it comes to uh, a young person, you with their family, you'll get someone that comes in. And it's, it's usually the same line. It says, it's all right. It could be one thing. It's all right. I'm here with them. I don't care. And they said, well, it doesn't matter because that's the law in the state. Number two, they said, where we're from, Wisconsin, let's say, you could be 16 years old and you can have a drink with your parents. And it's kind of a, they have a, a law up there. And I'm trying to study that law to hear how it doesn't really affect us down here because that's the law in Wisconsin. It's not the law in Florida. Uh so it still doesn't release us from liability just because of parent. So when uh, it doesn't matter if you're from Germany, France, and say, well, we allow our children to have a little wine, blah, blah, blah. So well, we don't. And if you were in Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't be, even in Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't be able to drink alcohol at all. Unless you're in like a special foreign enclave where they're allowed to do those things. But out in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, you couldn't go into a restaurant and order, you know, a whiskey. So you don't have to worry about that liability. So that that's you have to adhere to their laws. And here, you, um, and in our state, you have to adhere to that law. It doesn't matter where you are. It's funny that you have to, it doesn't matter where you come from. Because you got to think. Think about... Um, the rules in different countries in Japan, I think at one time, the age of consent for um, a sex for a minor is 14 or something crazy like that. Well, that doesn't just because you're from Japan doesn't release you from liability to statutory rape. If you have if you're a person and you have sex with someone who's under 18 or, or 16, or whatever the age of consent is. So liability does not travel from where you're at to another place. That's why I, I know this, because when I do no, notary signings, I have to, my uh, jurisdiction is Florida. And whatever county, any, any county in Florida. So if... I were going to notarize something, and it said, by the laws of the state of South Carolina and the county, let's say Collier County. I don't know if there's a Collier County or Columbia County in South Carolina. I don't know if there is a county, but let's say. And I'd have to change that to the county I am in Florida notarizing it because I could not notarize in South Carolina. My, so I am, my jurisdiction is Florida. So that's the same thing. Your 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 permissions do not change because you're from some place in particular. And some people may make it uh, exclusionary by saying that if you have diplomatic immunity, diplomatic immunity is immunity to certain charges. It does not make things legal. 
in different areas. So in restaurants, I try to tell people and say, listen, if, especially when they're sitting at the bar and they go and say, well, I let my child have a drink and stuff like that. I say, listen, um, let's talk about real world right here. If you were at a table, it would not even, even if I don't see you, it's not allowed. But then again, if I don't see you, there's no way for me to enforce it, right? So your child trying to drink a cosmopolitan does not uh, uh, release me from my responsibility telling you you're not allowed to drink at the bar. I'm not trying to be a wet blanket because I am liable for breaking the law because I'm allowing it to happen. So this is what happened to that lady. And it's a shame. You know, it's me. My intention might be it's like I don't really care if the kid takes a half a sip. Really? Personally, I don't care if you're going to give a sip of your Cosmo to your kid. But inside a restaurant where I can be, first of all, liable and could be charged, then that becomes uh, a big deal. A big deal. And then when I'm trying to enforce it, I'm not doing it to make you, uh, you know, just to, I'm not doing it to be an encumbrance to your fun times. And if you want to have fun times, you can do that in your house. You can give your kid, if you're in your house, even though it's illegal to serve your kid alcohol in your house, I think you could be arrested if you just allow your kid to drink. And uh, you, like I said in these parties, it's, it's a, I understand the intent of parents. You know, getting they, they intentionally, they get the bus and they said, we don't want them drinking and driving, so we get them a bus. Because they know. They know that those kids, if they were driving around and they didn't have a bus, some of them might drink and drive. So they'll go and do it. And they'll know the kids will have liquor on the bus and do this stuff. They know. They, they, or they, they have a sneaking suspicion. It's not that they're aiding and abetting. Their intention is to, that's fine. And, and yeah, getting the bus and not knowing if you're a parent, if you don't have a moderator on and stuff like that. You're not liable. You said we got we got the bus because we don't want the kids. You know, you can always say we don't want the kids driving late at night and stuff like that. And and then you could say aside. And he said we have a sneaking suspicion that they might be using uh, uh, substances that are banned for their use. And that you know you're you're not liable at that point. I know it sounds so. It's just like when someone goes out in a restaurant and they come in. I've had. People come into the restaurant where they're intoxicated already when they come into this establishment and they ask for a drink. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this person barely can talk. They barely walk. And sometimes you're, I'm trying to figure out, maybe this is the way the person normally is. So I have to, you know, I have to gauge that sometimes. Don't know. But sometimes, unless it's a real unique condition the person has. Where he says, well, I have a condition. I had a stroke. And I always sound like I'm drunk. And this is the way I always sound. Here, here's me at work. Here's me recording on me. Here's me when I wake up in the morning. Here's me. And, I mean, you don't have to prove that to me. If they tell me and they do a convincing argument, someday that may be acceptable. But most of the time, if someone appears drunk and they're stumbling and stuff like that, I will assume they're drunk. And when they are drunk... I will refuse to serve them because I don't know how drunk they are and when they took the last drink. Because there's a possibility that you can die from drinking too much. 
And I don't, once I give them any more liquor and something were to happen to them, I would assume whatever liability that person who overserved them. And it's happened before where someone's completely fine when they came into the restaurant. And they just had a half hour before. They may have had like a couple shots, could been drinking all day, and all of a sudden all the liquor that they had in the previous hour is starting to hit their system. And that next drink, you think that one drink, you say, how's it possible the person had two drinks? How how they so, well, you know, you accumulate uh, alcohol in your system because you can only pretty much process an ounce and a quarter to, depending on how large to an ounce and three quarters an hour. They'll say one ounce of alcohol, five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of beer. And they're, they're all equal amount of alcohol in them. Um, so on that model, if you have two or three drinks an hour, you know, if you're drinking for six hours, two drinks, you actually have six and one hour. At one point, you're going to have accumulated six drinks in your system in one hour. That wasn't processed. You were to process six ounces of alcohol in six hours. And there was 12 in the total. So that six ounces eventually going to hit you. And a lot of times, that's not as serious a problem as the person that's doing three drinks an hour. For six. So that means there's 12 drinks is going to hit them. And some people have a maybe, yeah, they call it tolerance. I don't know if it's necessarily tolerance. I don't know exactly what it is. But eventually, any everyone gets drunk and above the limit. And that's what I'm looking for. So this guy comes in. He's all totally intoxicated uh, by all appearances. And they said, I'll have, I'm going to have, and I go, you're going to have a glass of water. Or coffee or tea. I said, but I'm not driving. And I said, I don't care. You're you're intoxicated already. I don't know. And he said, but we're in the keys. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. the the liquor the besides when you can sell alcohol and how late you can be open and things like that, you can. But the the liability laws are pretty much the same in the state of Florida. I don't know if there's a state in the country that says you can just overserve anybody that you want and then they can drink themselves to death. So I just, I told them that. And I know I'm wet blanket and stuff like that, but, uh, and I believe most people would refuse to serve someone. It is the minimum. It is the minimum. And some people, when they're drinking, they say, I'll have a shot, I'll have a shot, I'll have a shot. I said, nope. Use your strength. Two shots. And he said, yeah, it looks like you're going to three. Well, this is going to be the last one. I said, you're ready. I don't know what you drank before. You know, you, you just got enough is enough. What are you going to do if the person goes out and gets in the car? You just think it through. Think it through. Think, think all through something was going to happen. Once you assume that you're, something could happen bad. And then... Maybe you think about what your involvement was, and that's where can help, you can help you make a decision on what you should or should not do. Getting back to the stories, I was just thinking about the uh, young lady, and I was thinking of my story, and I think of other people's stories. How do you tell your story? 
the people. I mean, you go through, everyone has the same story. They're born, right? Because otherwise, you don't have a story if you're not born. And obviously, you grow up someplace or places. And some are notable, some are bad. Some people have very, I guess, sheltered lives and very nurturing families. Other people are given more of a freestyle raise. I mean, freestyle is a horrible, it's a nice way of saying that. You're, you're, um, could be your parents were almost like a Montessori parent when you're saying, we let my child be creative and do whatever they want and stuff like that, which is fine. Or you could be a person with a parent that was neglecting, neglecting or abusive or anything. They are I'm not saying they're not in interesting stories. And I heard some interesting stories we were um, a, years ago when I went with a couple co-workers down to Key West. And we're sitting having a couple drinks. And um, we were smoking uh, a, a little pot. We're having a good time. And I don't know what... Um, one of our friends started telling a story how they grew up and it seemed like a hard life and things like that. And uh, the, the next person was me. And I told my story about what uh, I went through. And, and it seemed like it was somewhat difficulty, but uh, difficult life, but it really wasn't difficult life. I tried to portray myself as say, because all the places I used to live, I became very sociable and I found it easy or more I was more at ease making acquaintances with people and making friends. Not necessarily sustaining friendship, but making friends and acquaintances. The, the last person who told the story had a uh, parent, has parents that were broke up. Their father was a single father and uh, raised his son. And at one point when he was a, I mean, just told these stories, his father had at some at some point had some substance abuse issues, but he um, he wasn't abusive. I understand he was a caring father, but you know when you have a substance abuse problem, you can be kind of neglectful. And I think when he was very young, he ended up being on a fishing boat with some people who were not did not pay, behave appropriately in front of someone that was fifteen or sixteen years old. And I'm listening to the story, and then the guy was talking about how he and his sister were raised and stuff like that, and that was horrifying. And then he told the story about, I think he was 14 or 15 when he was working on a fishing boat. And that story there was incredible. Incredible. I don't even want to go over the story. It's not my story to tell. But there are stories about people who are being raised. And um, if you had to write an essay let's say, for college. You definitely want to highlight things that make you notable. Um, it's not necessarily, I don't know how much it would help you. If you if you portrayed a story, I would be reluctant to say some really horrible things, but to say I had a difficult uh, uh, upbringing, but I persevered and this is who I am. But I'm saying when you're telling a story, it's really those big parts of life they're hard to leave blank. And I don't know how some of these people would actually be the, the, the people that have the um, most dark 
items to put in there. I don't have any super dark items in my life. I think the worst one, if I could tell, if I do my real open reveal, um, I've, I've, I've probably said it before in the past, and I'm, I'm trying to be pretty open about it. I think I was when I was in the Boy Scouts, one of our um, assistant scout leaders was would have us, we would play basketball during the weekdays, and then he'd try to have a sleepover. You can see where this is going, right? And he was a little bit of an ass grabber, you know, or trying to do it around the front too, grab your, you, you know, go towards the gym. I remember sleeping in, and you sleep in the same room, and then all of a sudden you, you start, and you, I'd get up and move into the living room. I do remember that. I do remember saying it, and I remember talking about it. I don't even like deep, dark secrets. I just remember after the one incident, I remember I really didn't like playing basketball anymore. And for funniest thing, until recently, people said, didn't you ever play basketball? And I said, you know, I was, I was getting pretty good at basketball when I was 11 and 12 years old, but then I stopped playing basketball. And that's... That was the thing. I went more, for, more towards uh, track and field and football, even though I wasn't built for football. I was tall, super tall and thin. So, and that's super thin and tall because I wasn't super tall. I was six, you know, six three and a half, six four. So, uh, that's part of my life. But it, I guess it's not big enough where. I'd be able to build something that's like, I just never wanted to play basketball after that. And people say, I don't watch basketball. I'm not like a big basketball fan. It could be associated with that. But it wasn't that dark a thing that occurred to me that I can't, I can't talk about. And, um, but I never associated the two. That th- there's two things. And when you think about telling your story, um, those big moments really do sometimes play uh, significant parts in your worldview. I mean, I can't imagine this. Um, Ella Reed, the young woman who got uh, in a, a shark confrontation. Shark confrontation. That'd be a good thing. I can't imagine her to be able to go into a conversation. She goes, like, you want to go swimming? Do you want to go swimming with the sharks? There's this really great shark encounter here. And she'd go, no, no, I'm not really interested in that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, why not? You go, well, let me tell you a little story. You know? But it does It does make a point. And I always, I always explain it to, uh, if you have an interesting story, um, some interesting things to say about yourself. It does add uh, some depth to uh, people's understanding of who you are. So, and people say, well, obviously Ella is kind of uh, protective and fearless because she fought off a shark after telling her friend to get get out of here. That's almost like a superhero thing. And it's also a nice thing when you see Florida girl and then something nice after that. Because whenever you hear a story, Florida man, you know, gets hand bitten off while trying to stick his hand in an alligator's mouth, you know, or doing something to a manatee, something stupid. It's always nice to have like a nice 
uh, story. I'm not saying that being bitten by a shark is nice, but she, I mean, she has a couple. She has. I saw that she's not deformed or anything like that, and I know you can get serious injuries from the shark, but she has a really nice story to tell. She has a couple scars, 19 stitches and stuff, and people say, yeah, I got bit by a shark. And people say, well, oh, yeah, what, what happened? And I said, well, there's tape of it if you go into YouTube. Not of showing it, but it'll tell you the story. Well, this is Jim, the Keys bartender. I'd like to thank you for listening. Remember, uh, I will be back probably usually twice a week. And I hope you have a great day. And if you do see a shark, you know, try to get away from it. You don't have to fight it all the time. But then again, you know, if you're like Ella, you probably you do all right. But no, m- normally those encounters aren't don't have a really great ending. Because the shark usually gets the upper hand, even though they don't have hands. I'm talking too much right now. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you sometime later this week. Bye.